Hello, and welcome to the Paleo Baby Podcast. Today, I am excited to be joined by uh, Eileen Laird. And Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Eileen has recently written a really great book that I, I'm excited to dive more into as we get started. But she written has written a, a book recently called A Simple Guide to the Paleo Autoimmune Protocol. And it's not something that we've talked a huge amount on about on the show. Um, and I'm excited to have Eileen here because I think she'll be a great guide through the topic. Um, Eileen, what is the autoimmune protocol? Sure. So I think where it first started out, it was considered to be an elimination diet, um, where it helped people with autoimmune disease identify their food intolerances outside of the regular paleo template. So certain foods like nightshades and eggs, people were noticing were troublesome for people with autoimmune disease. So the AIP was set up to remove those foods along with the um, another group of them, and I can list those off for you if you want, for a minimum of 30 days until you see an improvement in your autoimmune symptoms, and then you would reintroduce them and see how your body responds and get to personalize your paleo diet for you. So everyone reintroduces a different group depending on you know their own unique body's needs. So for example, let me see, what, what would be the list of the foods that you remove? You remove the nightshades, the eggs, the nuts and seeds. If you are doing a primal style paleo, dairy gets removed during the autoimmune protocol. And then there are a few other kind of small items like seed-based spices, fruit-based spices, um, seed-based oils, nut-based oils. A lot of those people are more successful at getting back in. They're kind of like a way to tweak the protocol. And then some of the larger categories are the ones that people are more likely to have trouble with. So that's like the diet piece. But I think as more people are doing this, they're really looking at the autoimmune protocol as an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So it's beyond just diet. So it's paying attention to things like, are you getting enough sleep at night, which I'm sure your audience can relate to? Um, Are you managing your stress well? I mean, you can't live a stress-free life, but how are you responding to the stress in your life? That can have a big impact on autoimmune symptoms if you have autoimmune disease. Um, how are you, how, how do you talk to yourself? Like what's your relationship? Um, what, what, what is your self-talk? Is it positive or is it negative? Is it self-loving or is it self-loathing? Um, things like that can really have an impact on how you feel too. So I think the autoimmune protocol overall has a lot of layers, but the goal is to live the best life possible with autoimmune disease. Autoimmune disease seems like it's kind of just this huge umbrella. What are some of the more common things that you run into? And, and, you know, specifically for yourself, if you want to get into your story, you know, who are people that need to be thinking about whether or not they're, they're going to use the autoimmune protocol? Do you mean like, what are some of the diagnoses or yeah, diagnoses or, of- or maybe they, they don't even have a diagnosis, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, there's, there's plenty of people that come to me and say, you know, I don't, I'm not celiac. I've, I've done all this food sensitivity testing and none of it says, you know, anything, but I still, I'm still suffering from, you know, X, Y, Z. I still have a lot of inflammation or I've had this gut infection and they're never going to get a diagnosis or maybe the only diagnosis they have is, is irritable bowel syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do I, you know, what am I feeling like, you know, if I, if I might want to do the AIP diet and then, you know, what are some of the more, you know, c- clear black and white, you know, 
you have this autoimmune disease? Because I think a lot of people, you know, still aren't totally familiar with with things that are even classified as autoimmunity. You know, I think a lot of people are walking around with even diagnoses and they're not even clear that that's something that, you know, they should be considered to eat a different diet to to try to manage it. Yeah, and that's a really good point. There's over 100 autoimmune diseases right now classified, and I think the list continues to grow. And the classic ones that most people are probably familiar with are rheumatoid arthritis, which I have, multiple sclerosis, lupus, um, things like that. But there are other ones that some people don't think of. Diabetes type 1 is actually an autoimmune disease. Psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. A lot of skin conditions, which often are not diagnosed correctly, end up having an autoimmune nature. So um, eczema is more like an immune reaction, but the AIP can also help with that. Uh, But there's also a lot of ones that begin with the word lichen, like lichen planus, lichen sclerosis. Um, And there's another one called hydrogenitis superativa, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But anytime something's going on with your skin, there's usually an immune system component, whether it's an autoimmune component or just an inflammatory immune component. And I think the AIP can help with both of those. But then, like you said, some autoimmune diseases are really hard to diagnose. Like for me, I was a textbook example of rheumatoid arthritis, so it wasn't hard at all. I had, um, and I can go into my story a little bit later, but there's certain symptoms like pain in the balls of your feet and in your hands and some disfiguration in the joints, and and they know what that is. But then a lot of times, it's just feeling crappy. You know, it's, it's, and going to the doctor and not getting answers and getting really frustrated, like having them continue to say your tests are coming back normal because the tests they run aren't very thorough, as you know, because I know you all at Nourish Balance Thrive really dive into, I think, testing at a level that's really helpful for people that a conventional doctor doesn't do. So um, so it might be that you're just exhausted all the time. Um, your hair might be falling out. You... Your skin, you know, you might be having issues there. Your digestion is not optimal, whether you're constipated all the time, whether you're having diarrhea, whether you're alternating between the two, whether you're bloated, um, maybe your mood's swinging all over the place. A lot of times, uh, mental health issues have, I think, whether whether it's an autoimmune component or the gut-brain connection that all connects into that, I don't know. But I know a lot of people find the AIP helps with things like anxiety, depression, panic attacks, those types of things. So I think anytime you're not feeling optimal, it's definitely a good idea to look at diet and the paleo lifestyle to see where that can help. And I know you've talked about that a lot on the podcast already. And then if if someone's listening, has these symptoms has gone paleo and it's helped, but you're still having lingering symptoms, AIP is a good thing to try at that point to see if that can alleviate them. Just because like you said, sometimes it can be an autoimmune disease that's undiagnosed. Hashimoto's, for example, often takes 10 years to get diagnosed. Lupus is another one that's tricky to diagnose. Um, Well, then it can be a a compounding, you know, I've seen plenty of people with multiple autoimmune, because if you've lived your whole life with an autoimmune condition, and you've not done anything about it, or your treatment hasn't been appropriate, or, you know, you're still eating the thing that's causing it, I mean, it's, it's likely that you can cause other autoimmune conditions, correct? It's true. They often come in pairs or trios, which is kind of scary to know. (laughs) But it's true. And like, so for me, um, should I share my story a little bit just so yeah, people get a sense of that? 
So I was, you know, I was a healthy woman who was really physically fit and active. And I was hiking 10 miles, you know, on my vacations, 10 miles a day for fun and working full time as a massage therapist doing deep tissue massage therapy. And I was actually cooking my own meals at home and I was eating organically and I didn't use toxic house cleaning products. So I was living a pretty healthy life, but not paleo. So um, I, paleo wasn't even on my radar. I had gluten and dairy every day. And I baked my own homemade goods. So I had sugar regularly too, organic, <laughs> thinking yeah, right. that was fine, right? <laughs> so um, so anyway, so that was my, my life. And then I woke up one day and, and just had pain in the ball of my foot under my pinky toe. It hurt to put on my shoe. And I thought, well, that's just really weird. I must have just hit it. And I just went on with my day. And then the next day, the exact same spot on the other foot hurt. And that's kind of a classic RA symptom is having the same problem on both sides. Within a week, it was the balls of both of my feet where I was limping um, just to walk across a room. And within a month, it had spread to my hands where I couldn't really bend my fingers or um, really put any pressure on my fingers. And then it moved to my wrists and my shoulders. It was awful. So within a few months, it was ricocheting around my body in a way that I call RA Russian roulette, where I would never know what joint would get hit. And whatever joint got hit would be so excruciatingly painful that I'd be gasping and crying if I moved it. So I would have to immobilize it. So one night my shoulder would be in a sling. The next night my wrist would be in a brace. It once, I shouldn't say once, a few times it hit my jaw. And that was really scary for me because I couldn't open my mouth when that happened. And there's a real, I think, threatened feeling when that happens because you can't eat. Um, and it was just such a powerless feeling and really terrifying. Um, and so when I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, I was also really frightened by the medications because they are, they help some people. It, it's really, it really varies in terms of the success rate for medications with people with autoimmune disease. And there's a time and a place for them. So I think I've softened my stance on that than when I first started paleo, but I really was hoping that I could avoid them if possible and certainly lessen them if I ever needed to go on them. And I've been lucky in that I have not needed to go on them. Um, so when I went paleo, my inflammation did start to decrease. Um, and then it took, I'd say it took a full year before my flares went away altogether, but I started reclaiming joy in my life within a few months and it's night and day from where I started. So I went from living with excruciating pain to the point that I couldn't wash a dish because it hurt to lift. My wrist wasn't strong enough to do that. I couldn't walk across the living room without limping. I could barely sleep because um, when you lie down, you put pressure on your joints and it was painful. So I was trying to sleep in a lazy boy chair. And I went from that to really living a full and beautiful life now where I'm back to working full time. I'm back to hiking. I'm back to doing a lot of things I enjoy. I don't have the same body I had before I had rheumatoid arthritis, but I'd say I have the best body I can with rheumatoid arthritis. Do you know what I mean? So what you mean, you, you're saying you're paleo, what, at what point was it that you you know, did you employ AIP and was it, was it a gradual thing? Was it something that you kind of just did overnight? How, how did AIP come into the? So I took it in steps. So when I first started freaking out about the rheumatoid arthritis, I started, I tried, I, it made sense to me that diet would have some effect on how I felt. I had had some digestive pain in the year leading up to RA, by the way. So that's interesting. 
And, and so that I made that connection right away. And at first I tried, you know, vegetarianism, veganism, and that my inflammation continued to skyrocket. And then when I did some research, it was actually a vegetarian friend who told me about paleo, which was interesting because it helped her mother who had um, irritable bowel disorder. So when I went paleo, I went regular paleo. I did not do AIP um, because it was such a huge change for me. The AIP intimidated me too much. And I wanted to hope that paleo would be enough. And for some people it is, I will say that. So I always tell people, go paleo first, you know, uh, before taking it to the next level, because I think we shouldn't restrict our diet further than we need to. So, um, so paleo really helped me. I, I did improve for about five months and then I plateaued. And so I was flaring a few times a month instead of every day. And the flares were more moderate instead of extreme. Um, I was working part-time, didn't have the energy for full-time. I could walk about a mile before it hurt too much to walk further. So I was getting better, but I knew I could get better than that. And then at the five-month mark, I was ready to take it to the next level. So then when I went AIP, I went 100% into the protocol. At that point, there weren't a lot of resources available. So there were very few recipes. Now there's like Great cookbooks, yeah. lots of recipes <laughs> online. I mean, so many resources, which is wonderful. I was, I felt like the fun had been sucked out of my kitchen, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, because I didn't. I, I just cried when we had to when we had Did, to transition because it wasn't for me; it was for Christopher. So yeah, uh, and I was the sole cook, so I just remember feeling like somebody took away all of my my cooking tricks. I just right. Like yeah. Like and I think, I don't know if you sale. did this. Yeah. I just removed those foods and didn't really replace them with anything great, you know? So I was eating really bland food, which is not the way to do it. Cause you're just going to get crankier and crankier and crankier. Um, but now, you know, like, like we said, there's so many resources available. You can have just amazing food every day on the AIP and not feel deprived. So that's, that's lovely. Um, and then within a month, my flare stopped altogether on the AIP. So, um, and I think the reason for that for me is I was still, it was interesting when I was doing paleo, I limited my nightshades to just the spices because I had heard nightshades and RA had a connection and I thought a little bit of spice can't matter. And, um, just for your listeners to know it, it matters a lot apparently. <laughs> and then I was eating, um, raw, organic, fermented goat dairy you know, the best dairy you can get if you're going through the list of quality dairy. And I was thinking that that was okay. And when I removed both of those, then my flares stopped. And when I reintroduced those, um, I had RA flares. So those were the two foods that were still in my diet that were the problem for me. That's, it's, it's interesting. And this is something I'm just listening and I'm, you know, thinking to the people that I've worked with that I've, you know, transitioned to AIP and, um, it's, it's a very common thing and how I broach the AIP subject is I, I try to be, I either offer it as a challenge because some mm -hmm. people want to rise to a challenge and they want to, you know, tackle it and, and conquer it. Or I present it as a temporary thing that you can mm -hmm. get through and it's going to be okay. Um, but, but either way you slice it, I mean, it is, it is a challenge. I mean, it is, it's a, it's, it's an elimination diet. It's restrictive. It's removing things that you're used to eating. Um, so, I mean, how do we make it simpler? Your book is about making it simpler. How, wh what do you think is like when you, when you boil it down, how do we, how do we look at it or how do we approach it to make it 
a little less intimidating. Yeah, I love the way you describe that for people. Um, especially, and I'm going to do just a quick aside. There's a what's the woman's name? There's a woman who wrote a book on habits, Gretchen Rubin, mm-hmm. on the four personality types. Have you heard yeah. about that? Yeah. So there's so when I, you said challenging people, like if someone's a rebel, that's awesome to challenge them. And um, I think if someone is a personality who needs accountability from someone else, you would be perfect for that because you'd be their coach for that. But finding some type of support group can be really helpful so that people are doing it alongside you and you don't feel alone. I think that's actually helpful for just about every personality, especially if you don't have a lot of support at home. Um, I'm a questioner personality. So for me, doing the research and figuring out why this is supposed to help me was really helpful. So I think kind of knowing yourself and what you need. Um, But in my book, I just tried to break it down for people so that in a few hours you can read Um, The book is called A Simple Guide to the Paleo Autoimmune Protocol. And within a few hours, you can read the entire book and know exactly what it requires of you. So I think having a handle on what it is, is really important. And then, you know, preparing for it. And it's not something you can say, okay, tonight without making any plans, I'm going to (laughs) start. That's totally true. I tell people that. I was like, okay, so the first thing I want you to know is that you can't start this tomorrow. No, 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 no. You're going to, cause that's just, oh, setting yourself up yeah. for really some rough, a rough day and for a few days. Yeah. Because you're going to get hungry. You're not going to have the food available that you need. You're going to be tempted by all this stuff around you, um, that you haven't removed yet. So what I recommend for people, you know, is to plan a start date. And in the time leading up to the start date, I, I, if at all possible, either remove or kind of move into one corner of your kitchen all of the foods you can't eat. So kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then sit down at a table and and think of like, what do you eat in a day? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack. What on that list can you not have on the AIP? Like, and what are you going to eat instead? Because you really need to know that. Because when you're hungry, you're just going to get madder and madder if you can't figure out what to eat. And so having that plan is really helpful. Getting support from your household is really helpful. I remember I interviewed Terry Walls and she said that in her clinical trials for people who are doing healing diets, the people who have households who's supporting are much more successful than if your um, husband's bringing home pizza while you're trying to do the AIP. And I realize we, we have a wide variety of Uh, personalities and the people in our lives. So some people are going to have more support than others, but I do encourage everyone to love themselves enough to at least ask for what you need because sometimes people will give you more support than you give them credit for if you ask them for it. And a lot of times they just don't know how hard it is. Like um, my friend Angie, she's one of the bloggers over at Autoimmune Paleo and her husband thought he could just keep eating whatever he wanted around her that he you know, as long as she didn't eat it, it wasn't a problem. And they have a very loving marriage and he's a very good man. He wasn't trying to be difficult. And she finally, after a week of that, was just like, I, I can't do this. I can't have you bringing in all these foods I crave <laughs> every day. And uh, and he was just, he was just, he actually was mortified. I talked to him about it and he said, you know, it just didn't cross my mind. So, um, so to try and get your household on board is helpful. And keep your eye on the big prize, right? So if you, whatever, the only reason you would be doing the AIP is because you're not feeling well and you want to feel better. And I always say that 
that is huge. Like for the life I was living at rock bottom with rheumatoid arthritis was torture literally every day. So changing my diet was so small comparatively. And so I think just keeping that perspective is really helpful. And then, like you said, it's not meant to be forever. Um, it's really a tool to get to know yourself better. It gives you a chance. I think removing a bunch of inflammatory foods gives your body a chance to cool its inflammation and start the healing process. So that's really nice. And then when you do the reintroductions, you get to figure out what foods you can get back in and what foods you need to keep avoiding. And I know for me, that was huge for me. Like during the elimination phase, I don't know how you felt about it, Julie. I didn't like it. Like I wasn't one of those people who could just gracefully go through it without any emotions. Yeah, I, no, I wasn't either. But Chris, you know, he can, he's just, yeah, he can turn it off like a switch. You know, if you tell yeah. him you can't have something, you can just stop eating it. And I hated that because even though I wasn't doing this for my own personal health, I was doing it for his and it was so easy for him, but I had to do all the cooking and it was, you know, yeah, it was, it was an emotional thing. And I think a lot of people it's, you know, there's some part of it is, is emotional. It's, you know, there, I definitely had a few moments where I was throwing my toys out of the pram because I just didn't didn't want to do it anymore. And I think a lot of people experience that because somebody's taking something away from you. Yeah, and I felt that absolutely. And so to not judge yourself if you feel that way, and then that's another key is to really take good care of yourself during the elimination phase, especially if you can schedule in some treats that aren't food related. You know, whatever within your budget, it might be a. Just taking a bath, you know, having time to yourself one night a week, you know, making an arrangement where you you can go into the bathtub for an hour without kids and put on some pretty music and candles and just relax or have a, um, you know, a date night with friends or with your, you know, your partner or um, anything that you enjoy doing. If you can afford a massage, that's really nice. So that just that you feel nurtured when you're doing something really challenging, because like you said, it is it is challenging. And then for me. The reintroductions really helped because two reasons. If you if you successfully reintroduce a food, you appreciate it so much more, right? Once it's been out of your diet. When I got eggs back, I was just doing a happy dance in my kitchen. It was such a huge thing. Um, and then when I did flare to the nightshades and to the dairy, it was literally painful. But it also suddenly made sense. Like I, I, I was like, okay, I don't want to feel this way again. So therefore, I'm okay with giving up these foods. It was no longer theoretical. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about reintroduction because I think it's it's where I mean, if you're gonna stumble, it's this is where you're gonna stumble, right? Whether it's you thinking that you don't need to exclude something completely because it's not gonna make a big difference, like you and some of the spices, mm -hmm. or it's adding something back too soon um, or adding things back in an inappropriate way so that you can't get the best information from this elimination diet that you've worked so hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen a lot of people stumble on this and um, I'm just, I guess, when do you know? When is it the right time? How? Which order do you do it in? Um, is there a simple answer for that? I think. I mean, I think there's. You know, things can be simple, and that doesn't mean they're easy, right? <laughs> so yeah. So I have simple answers for this, but the main thing I would tell people is you really need patience for the reintroduction process, and to just know that in advance and be prepared for that in advance and really see it as an experiment where you are the focus of a science experiment and you're going to get to know yourself and your body better than you ever have before. You're going to learn to talk with your body and listen to your body in a way 
maybe you never have before. And once you have that skill, you have it for life. It's incredibly empowering. So it's, it's work to do the reintroduction process correctly, but it's, it's, it's so worth it. It's, um, it's awesome. You get so much information out of it, like you said. And you absolutely don't want to go back to square one. If you mess up the reintroduction process, you've got to, re- you've got to eliminate everything for 30 days again. So at least 30 and some people longer. So you, you don't want to do that. So just keep that in mind. Um, in terms of when is the right time to do reintroduction. So the minimum time is 30 days. Um, what you're really looking for is an improvement in your symptoms. And, and on the minimum side, you want to have enough improvement that you have a baseline for reintroductions. Like for me, if I was still having joint flares at the same rate I was having them before, how would I know when I did reintroductions what was causing the flare if I was still having them, right? So for me, stopping having the flares stop altogether was key for me being ready for reintroductions. Uh, for someone else, it might be, say, you're having whatever your digestive symptoms are or your fatigue or brain fog, um, all of those things. Maybe once they start to improve or have even disappeared, that's a good sign that you can do reintroductions because how the reintroductions work is if you eat a food that's inflammatory for you, it will bring those symptoms back and usually pretty, pretty acutely. Um, And that's interesting. Like if you were feeling that in a chronic way before the AIP, it's going to come back feeling like it's, it's worse when you reintroduce the foods. But what I will tell you, it's not that it's worse. It's that you've cleared enough inflammation from your body that you now can see it cause and effect. And that's the magic of the elimination protocol. Because until you clear enough inflammation, everything's kind of blurry, right? There's way too many variables, and it's hard to know what's causing what. So even though acute reactions are not comfortable, they're the clearest information that you can get. Yeah, I think that's an important way of saying it. I like to tell people too that you know, it's also that you've, you've had a break from this and you've, hopefully you've cleared enough information inflammation that you now have a clear view to what you were experiencing before. Mm-hmm. And you, you probably had grown slightly accustomed to, or you'd at least developed some coping, coping mechanisms too. And then after you've had a break from it and it comes back kind of with, you know, what feels like a vengeance, really, that's probably just what you were feeling before. You just found a way to deal with it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so once you're ready, and that timing is going to be different for different people. The other piece I put in that for people is if you're, if you're really struggling emotionally with the elimination phase, you take that into consideration. So if you're someone who at the 30 day mark, you're ready to go to McDonald's and get a double whatever, you know, with cheese and everything, because you're just sick of the whole thing. Well, then I would say to you, start your reintroductions (laughs) because you don't want to sabotage your health altogether. And the reintroductions let you very slowly and carefully and safely and healthfully expand your diet again. So um, I think the psychological is as important as the the physical in terms of how you're feeling. And that helped guide me. So I reintroduced at six weeks because at that point I was I was just too mad to continue. Um, and I had enough of a physical baseline to help me as well. And then I have other friends who I think waited a few months and a few other friends who waited like a year. I will say to people, you should reintroduce foods eventually. So I think some people in this community make the mistake of thinking somehow the AIP is healthier than regular paleo, and it's not. I mean, the the idea is for us to eat as wide a variety of foods as our bodies 
enjoy. So we don't want to eat foods that are inflammatory, but everyone I know, everyone I know without exception is able to reintroduce something on the EIP. And, and I really encourage people to do that. And if you don't do that, I think you're, and, and this is really a big thing. And if you have autoimmune disease, I can relate to it, but you, you tend to have a lot of fear of food and there can be some disordered eating stuff that starts to develop. And we, we want to be aware of that as well and just do everything we can to keep ourselves, you know, again, healthy psychologically as well as physically for that. Yeah, I think that's, that's huge. Um, you know, making sure that we don't let, I also worry about people letting it, you know, become a stressor, you know, because like we talked about in the, in the beginning of the show, there's, you know, there's a lot of things to our optimal health that, contribute, you know, not just the food that we eat. And so if you are letting your food become another stressor, you know, much like maybe some of the other, you know, pain that you had because of an autoimmune condition or, you know, just as much as a stressful relationship, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that that that's also, that's another stress that you need to consider. So what do we need to do to make it so that your food is not you know, something that's bringing you down, um, that's, you know, it's empowering you and it's uplifting you and it's, it's allowing you to live, a live a more healthful life. So I think that can go two ways. It can go, you know, a reason to do AIP, but also a reason to reintroduce foods as well. Um, absolutely not get, not get too carried away. Um, how did Chris do with his reintroductions? You know, it's interesting. I think we've, we've learned a lot. Um, he's because he's the type of person that can just stop eating something and not care about it and has no emotional connection to food whatsoever. (laughs) Um, you know, it was, that part wasn't a problem for him, but he did suffer from the fear of not wanting to feel like crap again, which I don't blame him for. Um, and I think, you know, we, we talk about this a lot because we get really frustrated when we, we see people posting things about, you know, you know, basically saying that everybody that does paleo and AIP is orthorexic and, and all of this stuff, because I think there is a lot of merit to not wanting to feel like crap again. And I (laughs) I think it's not orthorexic to want to be healthy and want to take care of yourself. Um, and not want to, you know, force yourself to eat things that, you know, led you to feel bad in the first place. Um, and so, you know, I think it was, a little bit important for him to kind of overcome, you know, to do some reintroducing that maybe he wasn't, you know, didn't feel like he needed to do because he didn't miss those foods. But yeah, when, you know, when it got down to, you know, we'd been doing kind of a modified AIP for, we've been doing it now for about three, three years. Um, and it was just, it's been a slow process. You know, we, we figured out that when he does, you know, he's an athlete and he, he does, he races a lot and he trains a lot. And so we figured out when he's had a stressful, um, either training exercise or a stressful race or, or, or a long ride or a long race, um, he is more susceptible to being, um, to, to feeling effects of, of foods that he's added back in. So, he can be pretty selective, right? So if he has, has done something stressful, I don't cook with nightshades at all. Or he, he doesn't eat eggs or things with eggs if he has got a race coming up or he's just had a race. So we can kind of be pretty careful wh- where he eats these things and where he doesn't. Um, That's pretty cool. That, it is. You know, that he knows and you know too the, 
how his body is quite dynamic. But yeah, it took a long time to kind of dial that in and really kind of figure it out. And, you know, unfortunately, his only kind of metric for it is his stool. (laughs) It works. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but that's the kind of I think that's an important piece, because that's that's the level that we're talking about here, the intimacy with which you, you should know your body. And I'm glad that you brought that up, because that's one of the main things that I think that's my job. My job is to help people learn how to figure this out for themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't, I think a lot of times I get people on the phone and they think I'm going to give them some kind of a meal plan or something. And, um, I'm like, well, I could do that for you, but what are you going to do when the meal plan's over? Um, you know, (laughs) or they say, you know, how long do I have to do this? And I'm like, well, I can tell you that, but you know, what are you going to do when you get to the end? Are you going to go back to eating the way that you were before? Do you want to feel the way that you felt before? So I think it's getting, getting to that place where people can really kind of take ownership of their health and take ownership of, you know, the outcomes that they want to see and their, you know, their vitality and their optimal health and giving them the tools to get there. So I was really happy to read your book. And I guess this is a, this is a question for you. What, what pushed you to write it? Because, you know, clearly, and, you know, lots of people are familiar with Sarah's book, Sarah Ballantyne's book is it's, it's a tome. It's, it's massive. Um, so the, that, that information is out there. What pushed you to write your version of, of, you know, of this guide to AIP? I think my personality has always been to try and make information as accessible to people as possible. And I've done that in different ways kind of throughout my life. And so with my blog, Phoenix Helix, that is one of the things I've always done is is to try and take some things people are talking about in the paleo community relating to autoimmune healing. And in a page, can I condense it so that someone who doesn't have a lot of time and who maybe is even feeling some brain fog, so concentration is difficult, who maybe is in the middle of an autoimmune flare, so they have a lot of distraction just coming from their body. How, if, if they have a couple of minutes to spare, can I put something together for them that will give them the information they need, that they can do something, like you said, in their own life to feel better? And so that's what I've been doing for the past three years on Phoenix Helix, and I just felt like we really needed a book that just put it all together so that people could, in a few hours, have it all in one little package that if you are experiencing all those things I just said, you can still get it. You can still understand it. You can easily reference it. Um, Sarah's amazing. I love her. She's so smart and she's contributed so much to this community. And the Paleo Approach is an amazing book. It's, I call it the AIP Bible, but you're right. It's like an encyclopedia. It's huge. And there are certain personalities um, like myself who can, really dive into that and kind of geek out on it. And then there are other personalities who are just like, you know what, that's a lot of information that I don't want. Like, I just want to know what I need to do and why very quickly. And, and I want to be able to just get, get to it. You know, I don't want to have to read 500 pages before I do the AIP. So that was one reason. And then I also wanted a book that was easy to reference. Like I will say, Sarah's book has a ton of information. It can be hard to find it. Like if you're looking for a, say you have a question, you've been on the protocol for a while and you're like, wait a minute, can I have this food or can I not? Or why am I supposed to be avoiding this? Or what's the science behind this? And you can try and find it in there, but it's a lot of information to sift through. 
So I also wanted a book that when you had a question, you could just quickly find that chapter and find that bullet point and get that question answered. I, I really appreciate it because I definitely have, have had, you know, the call with somebody that I know is suffering and they just, they need to act on, on the information that I've given them and they want to pull the trigger. And I feel horrible for <laughs> giving them this, this massive thing to, to, to sift through, um, as, as, you know, a primary resource. So I think I, I really appreciate it from that perspective. And then also just from the perspective of somebody who, you know, wasn't the primary user of AIP, but I was the primary provider of the food of AIP. I think having, having quick things that I could call on to just refresh my mind. Okay. What can I make again? What can I not make again? What are the rules mm-hmm. here? Um, I think that's another kind of great application for your book is, is to the supporters of the person with AIP, because I think it's a, it's a great way to quickly understand the importance of, of the approach. And I think it's also just a great reference, <laughs> you know, quick reference for, okay, what are we doing again? How do, how do I, how do I help this person? Um, how, do, how, how can I be in this with them? Um, and I think that's, it's hugely important and totally appreciated, um, from somebody that, that works with these, these, um, things on a daily basis. So thank you for that. Thank you. Let me tell you one thing about that. Just cause I, yeah, when I wrote the book, I was definitely thinking of people with autoimmune disease, but it's been interesting. My mother read the book, my stepdaughter read it and my grandson read it and cover to cover. And I didn't expect them to, because I thought they kind of knew what I was doing, because I've been doing this for almost four years now. And, um, but all of them loved it. They said they understood it better. Like I had tried to explain it to them verbally, but that was different than them just being able to, I guess, read about it. And so it was just like you said, that the support I was getting from them was good anyway, but it, it increased like exponentially. They felt like they understood a lot more why I was doing it and how it worked. And yeah, better able to prepare when I come to visit. So that's nice. And then some readers have been buying it for friends with autoimmune disease. So people who haven't yet sought paleo as a solution, it's an, the book is kind of a non-intimidating way to introduce someone to it as an idea. I think that's great. Um, so I guess one of the other questions that I have that I th- I'm trying to think of, of the people that I work with that, you know, the, the common questions that I get and the common struggles that we work with when we are kind of dealing with an, an AIP case. And, um, you know, something that I'm just kind of curious about and I, I'm interested in is, is sometimes I think I will tend to want to use AIP as, you know, somebody will come to me and, and they clearly, you know, there's nothing that's, that's screaming out autoimmune condition. They've got no diagnosis. They just have suffered from, you know, a long line of digestive issues. And, um, you know, I know they've had a gut infection and because I know the power of, of AIP, I want to use it as, as a healing diet. What is your kind of of stance on that? Um, as kind of a, a temporary, you know, starting point for someone who maybe has, you know, off and on tried paleo and or just maybe not stuck to it, but they're ready now, they're ready to commit to something and they're they're trying to take control of their health. What do you think of AIP as, as just a as a healing diet, maybe not for somebody that's um has a specific autoimmune condition? I think I can totally see why you recommend it. Because it is, it does remove a lot of the digestive irritants, right? And it also focuses so much on nutrient density. 
to help the body heal. So I can see where it would really work well for someone in that position as a temporary diet. So I think just the way you talk about it is is something that could be really helpful for people. I would just, and, I, and actually the people I've seen in the community who use it that way, I have known people who, well, they have leaky gut or they're recovering from an infection, like you said. And it seems like after a few months, they, they, are, they can reintroduce everything. So that's the beauty of not having autoimmune disease. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's nice. And, um, and it really leap, leapfrogs them forward in their healing as long as they're addressing the underlying causes, right? right? So like I know with you all, you do, like if they have an infection, you have them on a protocol to eradicate that infection at the same time that you're putting them on AIP, I'm guessing. Yeah, because I think if the infection isn't healed, then you probably can't get off the AIP. No, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I think I think that's huge. Um, and then I, I think it's important to touch again on on the lifestyle pieces, and 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 maybe I can learn some things from you here. But um, when you're working with with someone, or you you're recommending this, I mean, what are some of the other things besides diet? Because this is you know, clearly AIP, it's, it's a big commitment and it's a challenge as we were talking about, but, but clearly worthwhile. Um, sometimes I find people are so focused on that, that they forget that there's a laundry list of other things that we, we recommend for, for healing as well. You know, things like sleep and, and, and reduction of stress and, and all of that. Um, you know, first, I guess the first part of the question is, is how do you, how do you recommend making space for those things when, when you've got this, you know, looming elimination diet that you're trying to tackle? And then what are, what are those things and, and how, how do they, you know, fare in comparison to, you know, in, in terms of importance to, to the diet itself? I think they're equally important. I, I think it's okay for people to address thing, things in, in stages. If you, cause it can be overwhelming to try and do everything at once. And I think one of the, one of the things a lot of us have in common is um, we're re- we're perfectionists, and that is not to our advantage. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, if you try and do like everything about the AIP perfectly, oh my gosh! I mean, it's so much pressure and it's so much work, and it's a lot of change all at once. And so, like you had said, it can become a stressor in itself to try and to try and do it all. So I can understand that focusing on the diet piece first. I focused on it first. It was a big change. Um, And also, one thing that was happening with me is sleep. I knew sleep was important, but frankly, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it until I got a little bit better. And so some of your listeners who have small children might be thinking that way too. And so one thing is, you know, focus on what you can change now and keep in mind other things that you'll want to change later as you're able to. So, so I got the diet dialed in first and I did do meditation simultaneous with diet for me that really helped me, uh, manage the symptoms that were remaining. So it calmed me down when I was in a very painful flare. So meditation is wonderful to include at any point in time. And I know that's something that a lot of people are intimidated just by the very word, but I believe there are it's really just a way to take a break from the pressures of your life and your constant stream of thoughts and try to just be present. And you can, if you do that for five minutes a day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it can make a really big difference. And you can, you can do that through yoga. You can do that through listening to relaxing music. You can do that 
by going outside in nature. And the main thing to do, no matter what you choose, is to just really try and be present with the experience. And when you get lost in your thoughts, which will happen, just notice and then go back to the experience. And it calms you down. I can feel it change. My heartbeat will slow down. Um, Like if my stomach feels that kind of roiling stress feeling, that slowly goes away. There's like a tightness in my chest that softens. So all of that is an anti-inflammatory effect. So anytime you can incorporate that right from the start is a good thing. Sleep whenever you're able to focus on that is really important. I'm sure you guys have talked about that a ton because I had Chris on my show to talk about like how to get good sleep. Right? So, <laughs> so I know your listeners are well, well trained in that, but it is important. And I think for me, I really started focusing on that about a year into my own healing journey. And um, I, it was already getting better because my pain was less. So I was able to sleep more, but I'm a natural night owl. And that usually means you have an erratic sleep pattern that you stay up later and later and later and later, get less and less sleep, and then try and catch up on your days off. And it's circadian, the opposite of circadian health, right? right? So, <laughs> um, And so I gave myself a 30-day sleep challenge and switched myself to a bedtime and a wake time. And after a month of that, I felt a lower inflammation in my body than beforehand. So that was really cool to notice the difference in that. Um, As we talked about before, like the self-love piece, it can sound kind of, I guess, maybe new age woo-woo, but it's just so important. And I, I think we're all really harder on ourselves than we should be. And a lot of times we don't even realize how hard we are on ourselves. And so if you do stop and listen to how you talk to yourself and it's not the way you would talk to someone else, I think it's really good to try and change that. And again, ironically, not judge yourself for doing that, but just just notice when you do and just try and replace that with something kind instead. So um, cultivating self-love, <clears throat> I think is good for any human being anywhere. But I think for people with autoimmune disease, especially, we tend to blame our bodies, feel betrayed by our bodies. We've been given war terminology in relation to our bodies. So there's this like enemy feeling And we are one with our bodies. So that means all of that enemy, hatred, anger gets directed to ourselves. And so anything we can do to love ourselves to heal instead of hate ourselves to heal, I think really does make a big difference. That's great. That's all very powerful and very important. So I think that that's should always be wrapped up in, in the whole picture. And I don't, I, I don't want anybody to feel so overwhelmed by one piece of it that they, they can't reap the benefits of all of it. So yeah, take it in stride. I think that's really important. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. I hope that um, if anybody out there feels like AIP may be something that they need to pursue, um, please check out um, Eileen's fabulous new book. Um, I think that's a great place to start, to start to get familiar with, with AIP, what it is and, and how it can help you. Eileen, where else can um, people get in touch with you, work with you, learn from you? Um, you've got a fabulous podcast as well that I think people should check out. 
Thank you. Yes, you can find me on phoenixhelix.com. That's P-H-O-E-N-I-X-H-E-L-I-X.com. And so it's kind of a weird name, so I'm just going to tell you why I named it that way. (laughs) Um, So when I was at my worst with rheumatoid arthritis, I literally felt like I was on fire. That's how much my joints hurt. And it is a a hot feeling. And I really wanted a symbol of hope. And so the phoenix rising from the ashes is what I clung to. And then the helix represents the DNA and our ability to turn our genes on and off based on our choices. So that's why I chose that title. And it's my blog and my podcast. I love it. I think that's a great name. Thank you. And so you can find the podcast in iTunes. There's also a tab on my blog with an archive of episodes. Um, And if you choose to do the AIP, every week I host a recipe roundtable on my blog where uh, other AIP bloggers share recipes. So you won't be in that position that Julie and I were in where you're really bored with the foods you're cooking. <laughs> so you can uh, definitely check that out. Well, that's wonderful. Well, that's, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to use you as a great resource for, for people as they transition. So wonderful to talk with you and uh, looking forward to working with you more in the future. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been really fun talking with you too. <laughs>